Welcome to All Power to the Developing, a podcast of the Eastside Institute, where social justice, human development, and community building come together. This is where you will meet activists, artists, teachers, scholars, helpers, and healers who are bringing creativity, hope, and possibility to individuals and communities all over the world. Developing. So happy today to be welcoming as our guest Nicola Pauling from Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, I'm Jan Wooten, and I'm so delighted, Nicola, to see you on the other side of the world. We're in different days and different times, and um, so so great to see you. Really lovely to be here with you, Janet. Thank you for the invitation. So everyone, we have a treat today. Um, my uh, inspiration in this conversation is to get you enthralled and intrigued with Nicola's work with Voice Arts, a nonprofit that she founded some 17 years ago to give voice to people who otherwise believe that they have nothing to say no one will listen, and uh, Nicola finding ways to inspire ensembles to tell their stories as part of her many, many years as a performance activist and community builder. Um, my, my goal today would be that as you leave this podcast, you walk, you run, not walk to voice arts and you see some of the multimedia materials, the film and otherwise that Nicola and her team have put together that are very inspiring about the role of performance in development and in building community. So Nicola, um, you are a, a, a graduate of the international class the inst and an Eastside Institute associate you're part of the performing the world community. You were one of the founders of the Global Play Brigade. You are active in the Reimagining Dementia Coalition. And you're way over there in New Zealand and we're way over here in New York. So um, <laughs> it's so wonderful that you're part of this international community. Yeah, thank you, Jan. It's lovely to be part of it. The, the time zones get in the way sometimes uh, and make it difficult. But, yeah, it's really lovely to feel part of uh, something global, something uh, whole, yeah, uh, and more than, more than just um, local. It's really nice. That's great. You know, I met you back in 2018. You were graduating from the international class, and I saw you do an informal reenactment of the one person show you created was it was it called marjorie hope good could you could you tell us about yeah, that a little i can uh it was called uh she danced on a friday uh and it was the story of uh the life and death story of marjorie hope good and 
Yeah, that was a solo show that I brought to the stage uh, in 2017-18. And uh, I think uh, for years of supporting lots of fabulous people to feel that they had a voice and could bring their story onto a stage and in front of people, um, I sort of wanted to create the opportunity for myself to do that because I think for a long time I'd had my head down doing that for other people and uh, Marjorie's story was a very personal story to me and to my family uh, and um, it was quite a tragic story but it, um, uh, it sat with a lot of questions unanswered questions ar- around um, her life and her death um, and I wanted to find the answers to those questions and bring that story um, on stage, I suppose, as a way of honouring, um, yeah, who who she was and and her life, which was cut tragically short, unfortunately. Uh, and it was, um, yeah, it was a uh, yeah, a pretty amazing experience to go through in terms of of researching that story and then performing it, just because it was um, very close to my heart. Um, how, how so? If you if you are okay with saying that, how so? How was it close? Mm. Yeah. Uh, um, so this this was a story that in, involved uh, my grandparents, uh, my uh, who were members of the Salvation Army Church uh, here in New Zealand, and uh, and quite high up, my my grandfather was a minister, um, and I I I think that they were of a time and of a place in uh, in the history of New Zealand and across the world where um, it was the 1950s, 60s, and uh, and what was happening in the world was there were a lot of young women who were falling pregnant, um, and, uh, and that was a very shameful position to find yourself in, and so there were a lot of um, homes for un, unwed mothers, um, often run by churches, and young women were... Um, I think it's safe to say, essentially um, coerced into into giving up their children for adoption in a lot of cases. Not all, obviously, but I think that happened a lot. And this was one case uh, where, yes, my my grandparents knew a couple in England who could not have children, and they turned to my grandparents and said, "Could you get us a baby?" Um, and and pretty much were able to say could you get us a baby and we'd love it to be a girl and if she could look a little bit like us, that would be wonderful. And so that's what my grandparents um, did. They acquired a, a beautiful little baby girl um, from a couple of, of, of young uh, a young couple uh, and she was brought into my home with my father and, uh, and then um, several months later handed over to this lovely English couple who loved and adored her um, and uh, she made her way back to New Zealand 31 years later to try and find her birth story. And unfortunately, she was four days into New Zealand uh, in New Zealand when she was murdered. Um, and, and my uh, quest was really to find out what her birth story was because I sensed that she was coming back to New Zealand to discover that because she didn't know it. Um, and, and I set about trying to find um, who her birth parents were, what their story was around her conception and her birth, but also what the story was when they discovered that they had lost her for a second time. So it was, um, yeah, it was a hard story to unpick, but it also felt like um, a story that had never been 
discovered or told and that Marjorie was seeking that story. And, and I found that I was able to try and, and, and bring that to life for, for her, I suppose. Mm. Yeah. So that was that, that was that story. And it sort of led on to other things. Uh, yeah, as I think I said to you, I'm now writing another play, which is really solely on the experience of what it was like to be a, a young a young woman in the in the 60s and to have been in that space where you've had a child um, taken uh, or or given uh, and and how it sits uh, for women who are now in their 70s and 80s um, and um, there's a lot of them in, in New Zealand and I'm sure uh, across the world yeah. Uh, yeah it was a different time it's very poignant and touching I I remember your performance very vividly and uh, you also sent me the link of a grouping of women who look like they're in their 70s and 80s, who again, maybe had never been told that their stories could or should be heard. And in this beautiful way that you've directed them and coached them and helped them create an ensemble, I think you call this the Echo Made Me Smile. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that project and how it, because I see this as a creative arc from, mm. from, from your one woman show, you know? Mm. Mm. Uh, and yeah, so it was, it was around the time of making, uh, making that show, which sort of started for me in about 2016, that voice arts also started to, um, we'd been running for about 10 years at that point. Um, and we we had been working as an organisation. We had been working in, in, in spaces uh, that were um, incredibly diverse. We, we worked wherever we landed. We worked wherever we were invited. Uh, and we worked with a multitude of ages and stages and demographics. Uh, and I think at that time, we started to uh, feel like as an organization, we needed to narrow our focus down to to work more um, with more concentration with maybe just one or two groupings within within our community. Um, and we looked back over the 10 years that we had already done uh, and realized that we had started to develop a real um, uh, skill base and reputation and understanding of working with older people, people in their third age, um, people who are in a closed community setting, so villages, a village and retirement environments, um, and, and including those living with dementia. And that at that time, that became a real focus for voice arts. We sort of almost... Um, yeah, just kind of uh, shut the doors on a few things and narrowed our focus down and um, and started to develop a series of programs that we call Third Act, um, which focuses specifically on working with people in their third age in, uh, in closed and, and, and open community settings. Uh, and, um, and, and part of that process, part of that program is to develop, um, is to deliver weekly uh, um improvisation play and performance classes for uh, for people in their third age uh, and often we start this um, often we start this process or we talk about this process when we're trying to encourage people to participate we say 
There are no stages, there are no audiences, and there are no lines to learn. This is really just an opportunity to come together and be performatively playful. And that's how we get people in the doors. And they will say to us, as long as there are no stages and I don't have to perform in front of anyone, and we absolutely, that this is what we are offering. And then what we start to find is that within six to 12 months, all of these wonderful people who came into our spaces safely knowing that they would never have to perform in front of an audience start to say to us, so maybe we could. Like, do you think there might be an opportunity for us to do an actual performance? Uh, and, and, of course, we just yes and that um, offer whenever we, whenever we see it. And so we started to realise that the third act programme was not just uh, a, a series of weekly classes for uh, groups around um, the city here in Wellington, but it was also a performance programme. And so we needed to find opportunities for those in our groups who wanted something, yeah, who wanted to take the skills and the confidence and the capacities that they had discovered within themselves uh, to a wider, wider audience. And, and, yeah, the short film, The Echo Made Me Smile, is... is um, is one of the outcomes of, of that. Uh, we had been working um, in, in, in the years, or a couple of years before that, um, on stage, so creating spaces for, uh, for older people to be performing to live audiences. Uh, but then COVID <laughs> and doing that didn't feel particularly safe anymore. Uh, and so, yeah, bringing in the use of film, which is something that as an organisation we've done quite a lot of work with already, um, made a lot of sense, uh, and yeah, we um, we partnered with um, a fantastic director here in New Zealand, Kathy McRae, uh, and and Voice Arts uh, produced the film, and our facilitators worked on the ground with approximately thirty plus um, older actors in their seventies, eighties, and nineties, um, and just yeah, supported them to create uh, a performative response to the provocation, which was um, belonging, exploring uh, what it feels like to belong when, when you have felt like you belonged and equally when you have felt like you did not belong. And that, for, that, that beautiful film was the, was the outcome of that. That's so interesting that you frame that as a provocation. Um, say, mm. say more about that. How did you evolve the provocation of belonging for people mm. in their third act? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, quite often we, we do a devising process in all the work that we do. So when we, when we are offering a, a performative opportunity for people in any of our projects, uh, it's not about us bringing a script in. Uh, it's not about saying, hey, let's try a Shakespeare play. Here's the script. You choose the roles. Um, we start with a blank canvas and we uh, try and hold people through a process that requires an awful lot of trust because you start with nothing um, and and we have to 
guide people through a process where where we will end with something, but we don't know what that's going to be when we start. Um, And so the canvas is blank. And so quite often what we do is we just start with exploring themes and and we, uh, yeah, from all sorts of things. Uh, I'm working with a group at the moment on exactly that process and we've been looking at um, motherhood, we've been looking at freedom, we've been looking at um, in New Zealand we have uh, uh, indigenous beautiful Māori saying called Turangawaiwai which is your place to stand so geographically where do you root yourself, we've been looking at food of when you experience joy, uh, music and just giving the group an opportunity to work through all of those big sort of um, godlike questions about life, really, the pillars, the big pillars, um, and then try and identify something that resonates. Mm. And so, yeah, we had worked that process with this group. We'd narrowed it down to three, um, and belonging was sort of the one that, um, yeah, that we ended up choosing. And, yeah, it was, a, it was yeah, beautiful to work with. Beautiful theme to work with. Very, yeah. Because with every with every theme, you've got the uh, you've got the the dualism. You've got the yeah, the belonging and the not belonging. Yeah. So Thank that's you, how we got there. I'm 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 looking at you um, and thinking about you as this passionate developmentalist. You know, here you are working with dozens and dozens of people in their third act, many of them in their late 80s and 90s, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how you think about the relationship of giving people a space to create a stage where their ensemble can tell their story, the telling of the story, the therapeutic value of that the developmental value of that how do you how do you put that together why has this and how has this been your passion over so many years uh i mean it's been my passion over so many years because it's it's you know it's where i found myself uh in my youth um the, the theatre and performing was was the only thing that I gravitated to as a young person, um, and uh, and I and I didn't know I didn't have the language at that time in my life. In fact, I really didn't grasp the language until I um, fell into the uh, into the <laughs> into the soft bosom of the Eastside Institute and all of the wonderful people there, including yourself, Janet and Lois, and and the whole team. Um, and, uh, yeah, to, to know what it was that I was experiencing, but I knew that I was, I knew that I was having some sort of, um, yeah, I was experiencing something that I thought everybody, everybody needs to experience this. Uh, and, uh, and I, um, yeah, and I, that's when I started Voice Arts Trust, uh, back in 2005, uh, that was, you know, that that for me was was what this organisation was about was was about trying to recreate the experiences that I had had and and knew happened when I 
came together with other people, when I, when I came together with people that I didn't know, when I came together with people who were different to me, and when we had a shared task of creating something together um, and that within that space, uh, there was the, this, the, the invitation to be playful and joyful uh, and to, to step into um, uh, something that you didn't know you had the capacity to step into in terms of just the invitation to, to play roles. Um, and so when Voice Art started, that's what we, we were doing. And like I said, Janet, we worked all over the place. Um, I think we did a lot of work with youth um, and we continue from time to time to do a lot of work with youth. But I, I experienced that space to be wonderfully, wonderfully catered for. Uh, there's just a lot of incredible people working here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, as I'm sure there, there are a, 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 across the globe, supporting the development of young people because it's crucial. Um, but, yeah, I just felt that that, I almost felt like, oh, my gosh, look at all you amazing people and what you're doing. You know what? I don't need to, I don't need to try and cram voice arts into that space. It's, it's, it's beautiful and it's bustling. And at the same time, we we that I was sort of becoming aware of that. We did our first project with a group of older people in um, in a residential care space, and that was another film project. And that was really driven by the woman who was the chair of the or the chair of the board of Voice Arts at the time. And she was really sort of sort of nudging and sort of saying, "Let's just try working on the ground with some older people, uh, people in their third age." and we had that experience and, and yeah, suddenly I looked around and thought, so who else is doing this work? Like this, <laughs> we, we had this growing group of older people uh, and when, and where's the work that's happening to support their emotional and well-being and their spiritual well-being. And I could see, of course, that there's a lot of investment in their physical well-being in, in our health sector, but very few spaces that were looking at development and the idea that, of course, development is a lifelong journey and should never stop just because you have retired or you're in your 70s, 80s or 90s or that your memory is fading or that your mobility is um, reduced or that you can't hear quite right what I'm saying to you Um and I think that's what I started to discover, and that's that's the that's sort of this <laughs> this kind of um, pathway that I suppose we've tried to carve out for ourselves was mm-hmm. um, yeah was to try and create spaces like you would see in a in a youth development space and an aged care environment. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, Nicola, why don't we just take a very short break and we'll be back to talk a little bit more, okay? Okay. Hi, I'm 
I'm Melissa Meyer, Associate Director of the Eastside Institute. Welcome to All Power to the Developing. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation. In each episode, we introduce you to some amazing performance activists, play revolutionaries, and developmentalists from around the world who talk to us about their creative grassroots efforts to build a better world. If you like what you hear, please follow and share the series. You can find us on Amazon, Spotify, and Podbean. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas. Like everything at the Institute, the growth of all power to the developing depends upon the people who create it and benefit from it. We hope you're one of them. Thanks for your support. And now back to our conversation. I'm Jan Wooten, and we've been talking with Nicola Pauling in Wellington, New Zealand, founder and creative director of Voice Arts, which I hope that after this conversation, you will run to your computers and check it out. Um, there will be links with the, with the, that you can follow. Uh, I'd love for you to see some of her multimedia presentations of the work that she's discussing today. So Nicola, I'm Hi. so intrigued by what you just told us about creating these wonderfully catered spaces on which people come together to create ensemble performances, to build together, to do things with people that are utter strangers. And to do this with 70, 80, 90 year olds in the same kind of way maybe that you could do it with 15 year olds. Um, so what are you and your team bringing to the activity of these wonderfully catered spaces? How do you <laughs> think about that? Building uh, environments. Yeah, so, uh, hmm. uh, what, are we, what are we bringing? Uh, all of the facilitators that, uh, that work here at Voice Arts, and there's a small team of about eight, nine if you include me, uh, are all really um, skilled theatre practitioners. Um, and and so they, they come with an understanding, innate understanding of, uh, of, of the importance of story um, and the importance of uh yeah of 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 audiences and sharing uh and of the importance that theater plays in, in in our lives um they come with all of the 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 games and exercises that train actors to be on stage and i suppose um what we what we do is is support those facilitators to recognize um, to recognize that yeah that those games and exercises have a powerful uh, a powerful um, influence on people's core well-being on their sense of self on their uh, creative expression on how they hold themselves in the world. Uh, and so quite often 
when I'm talking to people about the work of voice arts, I say, so some of you may be familiar with the TV program, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Well, we don't do any of that. <laughs> uh, but what sits behind a program like that are hundreds and hundreds of games and exercises and experiences that train actors to be ready to take the stage and what we do is we take all of those lovely games and exercises and experiences and we adapt them uh, and apply them uh, with seeking the outcome of joy and laughter and well-being and sending people away in a better space than they came to us with. You come into our space and 90 minutes later, we hope that you leave feeling, um, yeah, like you're buzzing. And that's, and that's, what, um, that's exactly what we hear from the people that um, come into our spaces when we um, do evaluations of our programs that, yeah, the ripple effect of the space um, lasts. So, I, yeah, I think that's, you know, that's what we're trying to bring into these spaces is uh, a tool for development that a lot of people would never have even considered um, as being something that would be of benefit to them. Um, and yeah, and I've heard people talk like that when I when I when I come when I come into the spaces and we talk about. The, the program and what it, what it means to people. I hear people use language like, you know, I, I hadn't realised how absent play was from my life until I came into the space and started playing again like I was when I was a kid um, and, and how much it means to me. Mm -hmm. and, and, the, and the link there theatrically um, and again, you know, this is all the language that I have come to discover is that, you know, when when we were children and we were playing, we were playing performatively uh, and and that's how we were discovering our world by pretending to be. And we were with our small group of friends and you're going to be the pirate and I'm going to play the thing and you're going to do that. And we were creating these little stages in our bedrooms and in our backyards and, and we were performing, but there was no one staring at us and no one uh, judging us and no, and, and no one um, no one saying, hey, you're, you're, you can't do that because you're not doing it right or you're not doing it very well. Uh, and then, of course, we transition into a space where those people that tell stories and bring us stories are, have some sort of special talent or gift or they have been specially trained and, and we can go and watch them and we can participate as audience, um, but, but we don't have the skill or the talent um, to be up there. Uh, and, and so we step away from performance uh, and we go through our adult lives, <laughs> still performing, but not being aware of the fact that we're doing it. And then that's what we are bringing is where we reintroducing to people the sense that you have a right to be performative and to be performing and to be telling your stories, not, not giving them to somebody else so someone else can tell your stories. These are your stories and, uh, and you, you have the right to tell them in your voice in the way that you want to. Uh, and, 
And we have a number of people echo back to us the, the power of feeling confident to tell their makapuna, their grandchildren, their stories when before they didn't feel that they could do that. And now they can sit down with their grandchildren and go, hey, I'm going to tell you a story about something that happened to me when I was your age. Uh, and that that for them has been um, an, an incredible gift uh, to feel that they are, the, yeah, they're the storytellers of their own stories. They are the, the actor and the performer and the stage is their grandchildren's bedroom before they go to bed at night, you know, well, yay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, th- I'm uh, wondering, um, because there's a way that you could hear this by dint of that there is a story and that it this 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 kind of fixed kind of thing is expressed but it also it just from watching your beautiful film with the um the echo made me smile with the these people late in life coming together to make a story together that interweaves all of their kind of complicated experiences and comes with, it looks very new. It looks as if the ensemble is playing with all of those threads and weaving them in it in maybe new ways. Do you mm. see that as, as the director? How do you see that? Yes. Yeah, I, I do see that. Uh, I, yeah, I, I see how um, that it's not a solitary process that 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 we are working in. That the group is is playing with the telling of their story in a space with other people who are also playing with telling of their their stories and how they bounce off each other and how they weave together and how they find uh, common ground and how they influence each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, yeah, see that happening. Um, in the space a lot, just you know, in 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 every class. So it's a ninety-minute class that we that we run ac- across the city and in, in lots of different spaces. And and every ninth and every part of that ninety minutes is you know the the up and the play and the joy and the cognitive stimulation and um and the, and the madness uh, and the laughing. And then there's always always this beautiful time where we just sit with a cup of tea and we tell stories. And you can see how one person, I'm telling my story, this was my experience, weaves into something else and then, oh, yeah, that's right. And then I, and yeah, and just sitting around a table, you become witness to an ensemble performance of storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going back to when you said how shy people were about performing in front of an audience and after weeks or months of working together, hey, maybe we should bring in an audience. And I'm wondering if you had the sense that the ensemble was growing in their sense of being performers, of being storytellers. Uh, I definitely see that that, that, uh, that ask for that sort of stepping into um, curiosity around being uh, on stage and and having an audience 
is done as a as a group. It's definitely um, something that a group aspires to uh, because they they know that they are going to be doing it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that is, um, yeah, that 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 sense that they are that it's not about being on stage with a spotlight on my own. It's about a collaborative, um, safe, Fano family. Uh, um, approach to performing so that, yeah, that they are going to be doing it collectively and collaboratively uh, is, yeah, is key to them feeling that like they are able to do that. Okay. Did that answer your question? Yeah, that no, that's, it sounds great. It sounds like a <laughs> wonderful journey that you give people and, and lead them on. You know, I, I, I'm still thinking about what you said about coming from New Zealand to New York City, studying with this interesting mix of people from all over the world in this international class that you were in. And you said that it gave you something, something you said about an environment that you and your colleagues created there. What? How would you talk about that? And what did it give you as a as an actor, as a director, as a performance activist, do you think? Uh, oh, my, uh, so much, um, Jan, so much. I don't even know where to begin to sort of, um, okay, so I'm just going to have to throw things at you <laughs> as they bounce into my head. I mean, it just, it, well, look, at you know, first, first it gave me a family um, that, you know, the group that I went through the international class with, uh, felt like, um, yeah, that we we had we were provided we were provided the opportunity to come together as complete strangers from vastly different corners of the world, and brought into a space where it was just like everyone that was around us from the Eastside Institute and everyone that sort of sat, it was like we were put in the middle and then we were surrounded by this group of incredible people that just kind of gently, I'm sorry you can't see my hands that this is being recorded, (laughs) just voice, you know, just nudged us together and just went, this is all you need to do. Like we're going to stand on the outside and we're just going to gently wrap our arms around you and we're going to nudge you in together so that you get a little closer and a little closer. And I just feel like we just stood there. I think there were 10 of us or maybe 12. I can't remember the number. And over the nine months that we spent together in person and online, just that, that the, the, um, uh, the Institute and all those wonderful people were just nudging us to just get close, like to really get close to each other to get in each other's heads and spaces and um and into our lives and 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 I think we just went yes all of us just fell like we sort of just fell into each other's arms it was a beautiful experience um and and then we you know we and and together we were going on this um incredible sort of adventure really where we were learning and discovering things that made sense to us and things that did not make sense to us and things that I still unpack even today. Um, 
but uh, it, oh, you're not going to tell us what you're unpacking today. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know. Um, no, I'll, if I if that comes to my brain, I will share it with you. Uh, I I know to, on a larger sense, I'm definitely still unpacking some things, but I I, start, I can't verbalize it. I don't have the language for it. But you know, that's one thing um, that I know is okay, Jan. That um, I don't have the language for something, but I might discover it as I talk more about it. <laughs> uh, and um, and you know, so personally, I talked, I talk, I I suggested this at the you know earlier on in the podcast that, um, but yeah, it, it gave me the language for the experience that I had had as a young person and 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 falling in love with performance, and that um, it was that what I was experiencing was my development, and what I was experiencing was my development in relationship to other people because that was key. Like I I I, I can't develop on my own. I need to do that with with other people who need to push me and I need to push them and uh and and we discovered that we were introduced to um Vygotsky uh who now I just talk to everyone about all the time and um uh Wittgenstein who I also talk to everybody about all the time and um ah it was just one of those magical times Jan and I wish I could wind the clock back uh and do it all again I really do because it was too short uh, and and I miss it and I miss all those wonderful people, um, although we are still, you know, really connected and will be forever because that's just what happened to us um, yeah. at the Eastside Institute. So, yeah. And now you're it's gently nudging, you're gently nudging so many people in your own backyard and yeah. helping them, I, you know, I, I know it's kind of like a, a very vague way of saying getting closer, but what I hear you saying in the work that you're doing with young people and with the elderly and so on, is that you're helping them be creative, be creative together. And yeah. maybe that's the experience too of the, you, you, you just, described it as just sheer joy and kind of a giddiness and and how impacting how you hold yourself in your life yeah um yeah yeah and it yeah it is it is about nudging people to be closer together and then like nudge nudge be closer be closer and then you drop in you drop in the tool of creativity and now play with that together um, and just watching uh, the joy and the delight uh, that people experience when they when they when they get to be creative together yeah absolutely and they build with that yeah you know I I when we when we talked in preparation for today um, you spoke very again very passionately about this right to perform the right for performativity that should be as basic as having a hot lunch at school it should be something that's built into the curriculum uh, for young people it should be something built in to our senior care etc um, and I, I was very touched by that uh, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, 
Yeah, <clears throat> creating spaces for play and performance uh, across our life spans uh, are, are so important. Um, it, it is about it's about recognizing that that innate in all of us as human beings is to be performative with each other and we did it back in some time we sat round fireplaces and all of us told stories and all of us performed and all of us sung and all of us played all of the time from the moment that we were brought into that community until the day we died mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, you know, for me, I, I picture that a lot, that sense of, uh, and that probably comes from having over the years done also a lot of work with former refugee, new migrant community in New Zealand, um, and hearing people speak to that, sitting around a campfire, telling these stories, being told the story by their grandfather, being being asked to tell your story. Now it's your turn. You're 10 years old. You stand up, you tell your story. My grandfather stands up and he tells his. We do it together. Then we get up and we sing. And then this is the time where we all dance. And I think we all have that in some kind of, 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 of it's in our core and it's sort of locked away in our, in our very postmodern <laughs> Western world, uh, and we watch other people do it, and we might quietly do it in the shower. Um, if we're really lucky, we we have a group of people that might do it in your living room with parlor games on a Saturday night. But mostly, we watch other people do it, and uh, and I think, yeah, I think we all need spaces and places where we can do that in our communities just all, all, all the time. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm just, I just want to acknowledge um, this. I know that um, this is not live, but in the, in the moment that we are recording this, um, it's, it's our new year here um, in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So it's, um, it's Matariki uh, and, and it's a public holiday for us here. So uh, everybody's coming off. And, and I think that that, that this is a time of year where our, uh, the, the Indigenous people of New Zealand, the Māori, would have done exactly that. It's about coming together and telling story and dance and song. And, and I think there will be a lot of that happening uh, around New Zealand this weekend, which is, yeah, I'm really happy about. Oh, mm. that's, that's so beautiful. Nicola, thank you so much for joining with us today and sharing your piece of the world and all of the wonderful work that you're doing. And I hope people will become inspired to learn more about voice arts and learn more about your, your work. And thank you, thank you so much for joining All Power to the Developing. Oh, you're well. Thank you for the invitation, Janet. It's a fabulous podcast and I'm honored to be here and be part of it. So thank you. Power to the Developing has been brought to you in part by the Baylor Wolf Fund.